Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of the second season of the LCLC podcast. In our first season, I reviewed the conference's storied past. As the LCLC's new director, I conducted this investigation as part of an effort to better understand the conference's appeal and its place in the history of American literature and culture. In our second season, I'm focused on the conference's future, both short and long-term. I do so now in order to prepare for our 51st conference slated to take place this February, 2024. I always wish to understand how this conference can better serve artists, writers, critics, and theorists going forward particularly as these communities evolve and take up residence in cultural sites beyond their traditional locations within academia. In this episode, I talked to the popular YouTuber Olivia Sun. Olivia features on her channel educational video essays on a range of subjects, from feminism to aesthetics to questions of lifestyle, meaning, and morality. With social media now at the absolute center of our culture, I feel it is imperative for educators such as myself to talk to content creators such as Olivia who are working in this new space for thought. Over the last few years, Olivia has been pleasantly surprised to see her channel blow up with almost a million subscribers. Her individual videos consistently rack up millions of views. I began our conversation by asking Olivia how and why she started her channel. Yeah, um, there's nothing too inspirational to my story. Um, the truth is it was COVID. We were in a pandemic. I wanted to do something productive with my time, but there weren't any jobs or volunteering opportunities available. So I've always been someone who really liked public speaking and writing and sharing my thoughts. And I feel like I'm someone who just is always, always has something on my mind. Um, and I had seen other creators who now do video essays similar to mine, and I guess they kind of inspired me to take on this, which I thought at the time would just be a COVID hobby. And I started creating video essays, and they ended up actually gaining a lot of traction. So now I guess it's kind of a side hustle. <laughs> right. What was the first one you did? The very first video I ever did was about um, this TikTok influencer called Sienna May, and it was about body positivity and this specific content that she made, and I was kind of taking a more critical eye to it. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do you account for your success? I, I'm never sure how to answer this question because honestly, for me, I feel like a lot of it came from luck. I mean, there are like thousands of people who start channels every day. Um, and so I feel like 95% of that content is just lost out there. And for me, you know, for the first, for the first, at least six months, I think I was not getting that much attention. Um, a lot of my videos were getting 10 views or even when I started to grow a little bit, it was still like 100 views or less. And I don't know, the algorithm, I guess, really liked me. And it started to push a few of my videos and it was like out of nowhere, some of my videos started to get a lot of attention. So I don't really know. <laughs> I know that's not a satisfying answer, but um, 
I, I will say I tried to always pick topics that maybe touched on whatever I saw was trending at the time. So I really was trying to um, see what was maybe popular in mainstream media. And maybe that also paid off eventually. Mm-hmm. So why why do you feel that you're able to make videos, often quite long videos, about concepts such as irony and have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of views? I mean, it's pretty crazy to me because we constantly talk about how people have decreasing attention spans and everything's turning to short form and people can't stay focused um, and that everyone is turning to entertainment. Um, but if anything, I think I take my videos and their popularity to be a kind of hopeful sign that not all is lost and that there are people out there who are still curious and want to learn. Um, maybe they just they just aren't able to do so because they aren't in environments that are conducive to it since we're constantly surrounded by things like distractions. But I think there's still a desire in people to want to know things. And I'm glad that my video is reaching some of those people. Mm -hmm. When you are putting together a video, what what's the process for you do you start by writing a script or do you think about key examples how does the creative process work for you i'd say so usually when it comes to idea formation um whenever i'm online i'm always trying to look out for patterns or for things that people are um, i guess like interested in and I'm also constantly thinking about what I'm interested in myself and what I've been looking into in my own time. And I try to like forge those two sides of my, I guess, idea research <laughs> process to come up with something that I think would interest both me and like general audience members. And um, once I come up with an idea, I will try to look on YouTube to see if anyone else has done something similar already, just to make sure that I'm not copying content or I'm not making something that already exists. And then uh, sometimes I might see something that is similar to what I want to do, but I think, oh, I can expand on it in this way. Or I think that maybe they're missing this perspective and I'm going to expand on that in my video. And after I do that, I really start to do research. So um, I really like Google Scholar. It's great that my university gives so much access <laughs> to academic articles. It's really helpful. Um, any books or even my own lecture notes or papers that I've written can also be used for my research for my videos. Um, I might watch other YouTube videos or interviews with professors. And then once all my research is done, I will start to write a script and after I've written my script, then I film, I send it to my editor, and then it's up. Mm -hmm. So you do work with one editor to put these together, or is it a team? It's just one editor. So I actually used to edit my videos myself as well. It used to be just me. Um, but this year, so it's only been recently, 
but this year I got a video editor because I just got too busy with school, with work, um, and I really needed someone else to just help me out. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed about your videos, you, they're very professional. They're very well done. You are utilizing uh, not just recording of yourself looking at the screen, delivering your script, but then you're laying over the audio with still images or captures that are in the public domain or other uh, informative material that you're supplying, uh, like examples of the scholarly uh, work that you're drawing on. Are you providing all those details to the editor or is the editor just um, getting a sense of the Olivia Sun style at this point and rolling with it? So I do supply the editor with basically most of the footage um, because I that's why I didn't get an editor for so long, even though it is a lot of work <laughs> to edit my videos. I like to have control over what I put out and sometimes I have very specific um, footage that I want to use. But now I have like on my script document, I just add comments. So I'll, I'll like highlight a phrase and then I'll be like insert clip and then I'll insert a link that I want them to use. Um, there are times, however, where maybe I don't have a very specific picture or clip that I want, so I'll just let them decide. Um, part of picking a video editor was really looking at someone who could imitate my style of editing and was able to like understand the content I was putting out as well. Mm -hmm. And in terms of thinking of of packaging Olivia Son and these video essays, which honestly, I'm just starting as a professor. Uh, I've been 25 years into uh, being a professor and, and, and taught obviously a little bit before that. But in getting to know your work, it's the first time I've been introduced to the idea of thinking of these things as video essays in uh, as you are a creator of these video essays who are you imagining as your ideal consumer i will say i think most of the time i am thinking of the younger generation as my audience um, because i feel like i'm able to best communicate to them and also I guess I feel like they're just the biggest population online, um, but that's not to say that I want to restrict my content to solely them, and I don't think my content is also only accessible to them. Um, I think that, like, I've had a lot of people who are, you know, not 20 years old telling me that they really enjoy my videos, maybe like you, <laughs> and yeah. I'm I'm honestly really glad that their my videos can extend beyond like people my age. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I notice is not just that you get uh, impressive view tallies when you're, uh, you know, scrolling through YouTube and seeing what, what they're listing opposite your offerings, but that you get thousands of comments 
on each video and often you'll get a comment and there'll be 32 responses, a hundred responses. And there, the, it seems to be a very active um, community that has grown up around your video essays or am I misreading what I'm seeing? No, I think you're very right to realize that. Um, I think I'm not unique in this. I'm sure other video essay creators also have um, very active comment sections, but I do try to, I guess, make myself someone who would really like for good discussion to happen and for discussion that's like not out to just try and jab someone in the back and be like, oh, you're stupid. Like I want people to actually think and to see from different perspectives and hear what others have to say. I tr I really hope that my empathetic and open-mindedness shows through my videos. And I'm hoping that also translates to my audience who watch it and then interact with it. Um, and it's really nice to see people leave so many comments especially when they're really long and you think like, wow, they really put a lot of thought into that. They really spent that much time reflecting on my content. Yeah, I, I'm amazed at it. I mean, where I see video responses that immediately come to mind um, that are parallel uh, are there. What I'm thinking of is when I listen to a music video and it might be a very well-known song with a, you know, bazillion plays and people there, it might have, you know, a ton of comments if they haven't disabled the comments, but people are rarely expecting anybody to engage with the comment. It's just kind of like an autograph book in an odd way. They may, uh, you, you know, write a note to themselves in a sense that, they remember listening to this song with their dad and now their dad's dead and they'll always think about their dad when they listen to this song by the Grateful Dead who they don't really like, but dad really liked. And, you know, and some, a couple of people might go, your dad sounds like a nice guy or I would have liked to have gone to see the dead with your dad. But that's about it. Whereas you record videos, for example, on the phenomenon of, uh, I believe what you were talking about as the sort of sad girl persona and how it developed on Tumblr and you utilized your own journal or diary entries and reading them and showing them on the screen, uh, which is, a it takes a lot of guts to do that, I think. Um, but it, in, it inspired your audience to produce a tremendous amount of discussion about really uh, intense personal um, memories and thoughts and feelings. How does that make you feel as the person behind that? I think whenever I see other people um, being inspired or, or prompted to like share such deep things because of things I do, it really just reminds me to I guess, do things that even if they make me feel vulnerable and scared, like sharing my diary entries, I should go ahead and do it if it does help or touch other people. Um, because sometimes it definitely gets hard, you know, as someone who can create 
videos on topics that can be controversial, um, it can be scary because you don't know what people are going to say. You don't know if people are suddenly going to hate you. And seeing people and being reminded that you do help others is a good way to like be able to keep going <laughs> and be able to keep making topics on things I think are important, even if they might spark some animosity towards myself. Um, I think that's the most important thing that's come out of it. Mm -hmm. You, you're very daring, really, I think, in your approach, for example, uh, I think your most recent video is the one on carceral feminism. And there, you, you're very well aware of the fact that you are uh, raising points of view about the issues that we could umbrella under carceral feminism. But it doesn't stop you. You just plow right on ahead and produce those videos. I mean, I, you know, before I released that video, I was definitely a little nervous. Like, oh my gosh, are people going to misinterpret what I say? Because something that I've learned after being online is that people will misinterpret what you say and will misconstrue what you say. Um, you know, I've had people like take a screenshot of my video titles and just totally assume what I say without actually watching the video but then they'll get like hundreds of likes and retweets on Twitter of people being like oh my god yeah I can't believe she's saying that and I'm just like I didn't say that <laughs> if you watched even just two videos of my video two minutes of my video you would know that um, so I think you just have to really build tough skin if you're going to be online um, and I think I've gotten to a point where the numbers have kind of gotten meaningless and I've become less concerned about how many views is my video going to get. Like this last video about carceral feminism, it's it hasn't hit 200,000 views, which again, I recognize that's like pretty good, but compared to my other videos, it's a pretty low number. Um, but that doesn't make me feel as if the video was a failure. I still think it was something that I care deeply about and I think was really important to make um, and I am trying to remind myself constantly that what I make on YouTube should be dictated but by, by what I think is important or interesting not by what I think is going to get the most clicks and you were another popular topic for you that you seem to come back to more than once is love that you're you're interested in love and relationships and that that sort of um range of emotions that one thinks about in relation to love why well i think who isn't interested in love i mean everyone seems to either want it or at least has been conditioned to want to want it really bad or is always taught their whole life that it's supposed to be one of the basic drives of human nature um, and I personally think that it is an extremely powerful um, force and I just think it has so many connotations with it like it's so deeply 
put into our culture and our media and the way we interact with each other and people, you know, build their morals and the way they are going to live their lives off of their conception of love. And so I think it's just this extremely fascinating topic to me that I don't think I could ever get sick of thinking about. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons why I wanted uh, to interview you and uh, to start to get a sense of what it's like to be a creator of video essays is that I direct the Louisville Conference on Literature and Culture. And once a year for, for three days, traditionally in person, and now I've added two days before virtually online, uh, people that are largely academics, but the conference is proud of and sort of differentiates itself from other conferences by attracting what people, when, when they register, they traditionally put down that they're an independent scholar. Uh, but what we mean there is essentially they're a poet or they're a writer or they're an artist or they're an intellectual and they want to come to the conference and they may not be a professor um, or they may have retired or uh, they just don't wish to identify that way. And they get together and largely they do a kind of very conventional academic performance where they'll read a paper for about 15 to 20 minutes max on a panel where the hopefully they've either curated themselves into the group or uh, I and my associates here who organize the uh, the conference, you know, go like, look, three papers on love and the internet, let's put them together. And people uh, file into the classroom and then each, you know, the people go up there and they read their papers and then they use the rest of the time to have a conversation. And believe it or not, we get um, about 450 people who come to the conference and uh, enjoy doing this. And what I wonder is how long is that approach going to uh, remain? And is it going to shift more to people wanting to share video essays of the sort that you happen to be uh, an early adopter and, um, you know, an, an exemplar at this point of producing educational video essays. What, what What's your thought on, on that? Are they going to come together? Or are they going to stay apart? I mean, I've had um, lots of people tell me that in their classes, teachers and professors have been increasingly using uh, video essays in their own class and showing them to their students. I actually had a college professor ask me to speak in her class after she showed her class um, one of my videos. And so I do think that slowly um, video essays can be integrated more into like traditional educational settings. And I can definitely see them also working in conferences. I mean, if again, like back to the comment section, like clearly people do have some sort of desire to share their thoughts um, or to share what they're thinking. And I think a conference is a great place to do that because you're actually in person and yeah. Mm -hmm. Your style 
and the way you come across in your video essays to me is uh, is is part of the appeal. It's not just the content. It's Olivia, and that Olivia is um, uh, you know, it's the it's the style. Let me give you one example that as a professor, if I was going to introduce into the discussion uh, that in order to understand irony um, or in order to understand significance, insignificance, meaning, meaninglessness, that we need to understand the idea of postmodernism. And then you'll, I would say something like, look, postmodernism has a lot of definitions, some of them <laughs> contradictory, some of them complementary. For the purposes of understanding Matthew Biberman's discussion of this, let me stipulate a definition of postmodernism. Postmodernism for me means this, 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 and this for the intents and purposes of this discussion right now. Y your style is to go, look, postmodernism I probably have it wrong, you know, like it's a really complicated idea and I'm just Olivia here, but I'm going to just roll with it. You can tell me why I'm wrong, but it's fear of meta narratives and we're going to go with that right now. And that seems to be, be a very effective way of delivering your content. You know, you're very, um, modest in an odd way and there's a kind of comic spin to how you deliver the material. I think I've always like, I, when I started to grow on YouTube, I thought one of the most important things was to just keep humble and to remind myself like, you know, people may tell you all the time that you are the smartest person they've ever heard. And they, you know, you're going to have tons of views and people subscribing to you. But at the end of the day, like I am, 20 I haven't even finished university um there are people like you who have done their like PhDs and I am not even close to doing anything like that um and I know that I'm constantly learning I mean just the fact that I have the I don't like these videos playlist um just shows how in even a year or a year and a half I can reflect on things that I thought before and think differently about them and so I never want to come across as like some truth teller in my videos. Um, I think my own experience with falling down like a conservative pipeline where people online portray themselves as like these truth tellers, these I know the answer to everything. I think it's really dangerous to give yourself that kind of authority. Um, so I'm real. I really try to stay away from coming across like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a smart uh, and genuine comes across as very genuine uh, style on your part. You do a lot of these sort of edits and it's very important to kind of recognize the visual cues that are that are in the Olivia Sun vocabulary, the where you hold your hand up as if you're whispering to the side, for example, this the aside moment in the Olivia Sun video where you're like, I may know this from my ex-boyfriend. Um, and do you, do you 
are you aware of the sort of, um, you know, the signifiers that you're using and, and you repeat using them. You, you, you have a, a kind of a Morse code in an odd way of the, the way you segment your material. I actually, that's really interesting. I guess I never paid much attention to um, the visual cues that I've been using with my, uh, I guess, body language. I actually didn't notice that about myself. I guess I just did it, um, I guess, subconsciously, or I just did what I felt was most natural or would appeal to people and keep them entertained. Because, yeah, I think I talked about this in my video about drowning inter in entertainment, but mm -hmm. as a video essay creator, it's like, yes, I want to make edu educational content, but if it's going to be in a video format, if I want people to actually stay and watch, I have to make sure that it's somewhat entertaining in addition to being educational. And so I guess throwing in those little like visual cues or that like comedic tone sometimes um, is my way of trying to get people to like continue watching. Mm -hmm. When you focus on subjects like irony and you, uh, you produced and, and here you lifted, uh, your, I would say taxonomy to sound very professorial here of four different sort of delivery modes that are, that are allowing you to explore the concept of irony. And your examples tend to be uh, focused, I won't say exclusively, but very heavily into social media, into YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and, and that sort of thing. Um, do you, why do you do that? Do you, do you not have an, again, I'm just an old guy who's just asking a question. I'm not, you know, I'm not really overly invested in, in one way or the other, but do you feel that older traditional movies or conventional sitcoms and television, and of course the old fashioned books, novels, even poems are just you're not there with it. Your audience isn't going to be there with it. Does it matter? I think um, part there are like different reasons for why I tend to use social media. I think one of them is um, people obviously still watch sitcoms, movies, people obviously still read books, but there's something about an example on social media that just makes it so quick and easy to understand. I think in a way that maybe a book isn't because I feel like for a book um, if I wanted to use a book as an example I'd have to first assume that everyone either knows the book well enough for me to like use it as an example or I would have to explain the book enough for people to know it um, same thing with like a movie whereas I feel like for social media it's easy for me to just be like hey look you know this celebrity here's their Instagram post it's just one picture or I'll be like, oh, look, here's a 10 second TikTok with like text ex on it explaining what I was trying to say. Um, and so it's just like a lot easier to get examples across. Um, and also, I just think I, you know, I'm I'm on social media, like I can't deny that. Um, and so I will come across 
examples on social media more often than things in like a TV show as well. Do your academic studies now as you're wrapping up and congratulations in advance for uh, finishing up your undergraduate degree, how much, I would have guessed you're a philosophy major, you know, how much does your academic study bleed into your video essay content creation? Well, you really hit the nail on the head. I am a philosophy specialist. Um, that's like what I study. And I definitely think it does bleed a lot into the content I make. Um, I really like philosophy. Like that's why I chose it. And I would love, I think it's just one of those topics where you could explore so much and you could just explore it forever. <laughs> and I think that really lets me, um, that gives me a lot of leeway for like video topics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're very good at it. I think that the video that you did on uh, meaning and signification and uh, bus riding in Kyoto, if I remember correctly, um, might be my favorite video of yours. In a good way, that particular video goes cinematic in the sense that when you are attempting to convey to your audience what it's like to be aimlessly riding a bus in Kyoto, trying to figure out what those uh, strings are tied around the poles, you want to immerse your audience in a kind of simulation of that reality. Um, is What's your own feeling about that particular video and the possibility of you kind of moving in the direction of doing more sort of cinematic things? I'm glad you like that video, first of all. Thank you. Um, I really like that video of mine, too. I think that just like topics related to significance and existence really interest me. Um, I definitely think that that's something I would love to try to do more in the future. Um, I don't know. I don't have any like ideas on it just yet, but there are some other t uh, channels like Philosophy Tube who do a lot more dramatic and theatrical uh, types of videos that are also explaining philosophy. And I don't have the budget or artistic capability to go as far as they do when it comes to, um, when it comes to like dramatic uh, explanations of deep philosophical ideas, but I would like to recreate something like mine own before. Mm -hmm. So, it may it the the jury's out on whether or not Olivia Sun takes up some sort of long form video movie making career that that might be in the cards for you, Olivia. Yeah, I mean that would be cool, but I don't I don't know how good I am at making a movie. Um, do you have any ideas for me? I I am. Do I have any ideas? I, I find, uh, well, it seems to me that there's a movie about love <laughs> that needs to be made by Olivia Sun um, that speaks to, uh, you have to remember that at, at, at my age, um, that when I went to grad school, in the 90s that 
the feeling was that uh, a only an idiot thought about Marxism because Marxism had obviously been proven wrong and we were at the end of history and it was all going to be some sort of Bill Clinton-esque, um, you know, where the world would just come to look a lot like Omaha or something like <laughs> that. All, all over the world, we just all, you know, enjoy Western capitalism. Mm. And that was going to be that. Um, and so you couldn't talk about that anymore. So you could talk a lot about sex, you know, so it was, uh, and I grew up at, in other words, in the heyday of queer theory. Uh, one of my teachers was, was Eve Sedgwick, um, at a time when she was letting in uh, a lot of queer theorists in the Duke university, which was where I, I got my PhD. So, I'm kind of the jaded old guy, you know what I mean? Who's like, look, we, we talked about sex to death, um, in the nineties. And, uh, although the strange thing is that we didn't talk a lot about love, you know what I mean? Like we love to talk about sex, but we did not talk a lot about love. And that's, that's why I'm fascinated by the fact that it may seem, and it does to you, that you're like, well, why wouldn't, you know, everybody talks about love. love is, we all are obsessed with love. And uh, I grew up with like Tina Turner, you know, <laughs> like what's love got to do with it? You know, we could talk about who's on top and who's on bottom and what the power dynamics of it are. Um, but love, you know, you got to be kidding me. Um, so, yeah, so... Uh, it's fascinating to me to see that come back around uh, and be so um, captivating, I think, for you and uh, other people in your generation. Yeah, I mean, I think people are just people are just increasingly lonely um, these days. I feel like a lot of people, it's really easy to feel isolated. Um, one, just because of you know, social media, you spend a lot time, a lot more time digitally than with people. Um, and you also see others doing things all the time. And it's so it, it gives you this illusion of like, wow, I'm the one who's like alone all the time, even though really, they're probably alone just as much as you are. Um, and so it really makes you crave like someone to be with. And I think also just when I was younger, at least, like, I guess the early 2000s, there were tons and tons of movies like uh, the, the Princess Diaries or like the Cinderella story, where it's all just about a young boy and girl finding each other, falling in love. And so it really shaped what I guess people my age wanted um, as they got to like their teens and their young adult lives. And I guess, yeah, I think it's something that people really, really want. Um, I don't know if you know anything about incels. Have you heard that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Incels, yeah. Like the whole rise of incel communities and people like Andrew Tate, who is against like being with a woman and supports cheating on women. I think it really shows how many people are so hurt by heartbreak or being left by someone that they love. Um, and so even if love has negatively impacted people, it just shows like how much impact it does have <laughs> on people my age. Yeah. that's, that, those are, um, very astute, uh, connections to draw. And, 
and gets you back to um, the, you know, part of your broad appeal is that you you challenge your audience again and again, I think, to step out of their own frame of reference, um, even while recognizing the philosophical arguments that, that's, that in another way that's impossible to do, but still, let's try to do it and think about how uh, locking up men uh, in your video essay on carceral feminism, uh, what that does to the women and whether or not that actually is an improvement in some sense it may be, but but on the other hand, if you broaden your perspective to think about justice in in other ways that might actually transform or repair the situation and to push your audience into that, and then the same thing with your Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson essay to think about uh, the sort of toxicity that's out there, but but not just to reject it or to cancel it, but to to think about how to recuperate and how to restore and how to um, create two-way communications that are founded on reciprocity and acknowledgement of a kind of bedrock humanity for everybody involved in, in the situation is one of the... Um, one of the real uh, positive and enduring appeal, I think, of your work. Thank you. Uh, thank you. That means a lot. I hope, I'm glad that that comes across because I definitely think another thing that really inspired me to take the approach I do to my video essays is that I saw so many people online um you know put themselves as like this authority that can tell you everything or that they're very negative and it's like oh this side is just wrong listen to me um and i think that that's really what stops people from making any change it's just assuming that you know everything that you're always right um and that you don't need to care about the other side because they've been otherized in your mind as the opponent to like beat <laughs> but really we're all in this together do you think that you can you imagine yourself walking away uh one day from doing these video essays uh or do you think that this is something you're always going to do and is part of the appeal knowing that you have the kind of audience that you have I have a lot of ambiguity, I think, about the future of my channel because um, at the end of the day for me, I know a lot of YouTube creators see it as like their primary job, but for me, it's like my my side job. Um, I still take my school and my other job to be my priority. And when I go to law school, I don't know how much more busy I'm going to get. Um, I don't know how much time I'll have for my channel. I'm going to want to try to keep it up for as long as possible. But if I had to choose between helping people out by being in the legal field and actually being an actor in it versus creating content online, I think I would choose being a legal actor, whatever it may be. Um, and 
I also recognize that the internet changes really quickly. You know, some people will be popular for a few years and then they might get replaced by a new person who becomes the new popular video essayist. Um, so I don't know how long also people will be interested in me for, um, but I'm grateful for how long I've stuck around already. And hopefully I can just keep it going as long as I can. My thanks again to Olivia Sun for the illuminating conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting like, subscribing, and perhaps even writing a review. Of course, above all, please consider joining us either virtually or in person during an upcoming LCLC conference. For more information, consult the LCLC website or reach out directly to me, Matthew Biberman, Conference Director. Thanks again for listening.